Wow, folks get riled up when they talk about food prices when buying direct from farmers. And yet, for all the understanding the local food movement seems to have about fair wages for growers, based on your comments these past week, it seems like uh, we all have some war stories to tell. In this three-part series on pricing, we spent the first part looking at how the complaining customer is just par for the course and learning how to not take it personally. In part two, we heard my story about Agnes and the cloak of shame and discovered how it isn't the criticizing customers who make us feel bad. It's our own sense of shame that stands in the way of us asking for what we need. And in the final part today, we will be looking at a section from my newest book, Redefining Rich, and exploring the art of pricing and how it can improve more than your business's bottom line. I'm Shannon Hayes, and you're listening to The Hearth of Sapbush Hollow. It was a cold, wild winter. You were sleeping on my shoulder. I was praying that the raging storm would stay a little longer with your feet up on the dashboard of my summer dream. Welcome to the Hearth of Sapbush Hollow, chronicles and lessons from a life tied to family, community, and the land. I'm Shannon Hayes, and I operate Sapbush Hollow Farm with three generations of my family in the northern Catskill Mountains of upstate New York. I'm the chef-owner of Sapbush Cafe, a farm-to-table and neighbor-to-neighbor experience, open Saturdays 9 to 2 in our tiny hamlet of West Fulton. And I'm also the author of a few books, including Radical Homemakers, The Grass-Fed Gourmet, and my newest title, Redefining Rich, which has just been released from Ben Bella Books. This podcast is the audio version of my blog, which can be found at sapbush.com or theradicalhomemaker.net. There is no sale without a price. My family farm commemorated its 40th year business in 2019, and in my lifetime here, I've learned a few good lessons about pricing. Number one, pricing is where math meets art. I have price calculation sheets, recorded notes about the cost of livestock, butcher fees, transportation charges. I have record spreadsheets and databases about woolen mill fills, truck mileage, the wholesale price of cooking ingredients, and cost per unit generated. For services like speaking and writing, I have calculations on the number of research hours required to complete a project, on actual preparation and travel time, on what comparable service providers are charging. 
I have scoured the web and attended classes to learn formulas about markup and return to equity. I periodically peruse national pricing of similar products. All of these things tell me one thing, a minimum typical average price. The rest of pricing is more of an art and less of a science. Our weekly prefix specials at the cafe sell for a little more than cost, offering them as our effort to make a full, balanced, nutritionally dense meal available to our low-income community for as low as possible. It is our way of using up the cuts that won't sell well through the other retail channels and of creating good advertising for the cafe. But our a la carte menu items have a full markup. Our retail meats have little more than 5-10% to margin. Our value-added soaps and salves have a full markup. Our goal is to strike an average where we all get a decent compensation package and the business sees a 5-10% to return to equity at the end of the year. Once we understand the hard figures, the rest of our pricing decisions are purely qualitative, decided through family debates, consideration of community needs, and observations about what the market can bear, and then accepting the inevitability of change. Some prices get moved up. Some get moved down. The greatest favor I've done for myself in the pricing department is to create a protocol for making updates. I noticed that our prices were falling out of date because it was too much bother for me to change them. To make the burden easier, I created a protocol that I can follow every time an adjustment is needed. It's a step-by-step checklist that includes updating the point-of-sale software, updating the website, printing new price sheets, notifying our other retail partners, and physically changing the postings on the displays. With a sequenced protocol, the task is less overwhelming and we all feel comfortable adapting to the changing winds. Two, undercutting kills you and your competition, but you die first. For 16 years, my family held the same booth at our farmer's market. There were typically two other meat producers in attendance. Every few years, we would see some new farmers enter the market with overlapping products. And every time, we would see the price wars begin with a renewed race to the bottom. The customers got some fabulously cheap prices, and then one or two farmers would go out of business. The lowest price producers were almost always the first to go. They sell out a product, get a powerful sense of exhilaration for having the longest lines, pat themselves on the back for being genius marketers, then run out of stuff to bring for the following week, and run out of cash before they can pay all their bills. Undercutting the competition does not make you a more creative, savvier, or more honorable business person. It just hurts your bottom line and trains the customer base to undervalue you and your competitors' hard labor. And that means the life-serving economy is endangered by your practices. Because if the businesses aren't viable then they don't stick around having the powerful economic, social, and ecological impact that we need from them. Three, your time and emotional investment are legitimate expenses. The year I published Radical Homemakers was the worst year of my life. I had two small children. I was homeschooling and working in the family business. All day long, my phone was ringing with reporters. Emails constantly pinged in, and I was abandoning my kids and running out every week to speaking engagements. Some of those engagements were crowded with eager listeners. Some of them had only one or two weirdos who came in off the street hoping for free cookies. 
And every time I left home and farm, I had to find ways to keep my kids educated and fed and keep the business running and stave off my exhaustion. I suffered chronic stomach aches and countless stress-related health issues. My digestion was so disrupted I had to subsist on a diet of bone broth and tea. At my wit's end, I called my friend Joel Salatin, a longtime leader in the sustainable farming movement and a popular speaker. I did my best to keep my voice calm, hoping he wouldn't hear the tears I was choking down. Joel listened attentively to my woes, then had one easy, simple solution. Charge more, he said. Double your price, and if your life doesn't get more balanced, triple it. If you're feeling this kind of stress, then you aren't valuing the work you're currently doing. He was right. By making time for everyone who requested it, I was brushing off my kids' education and my personal well-being. And when I considered the value of my non-monetary income and how much of it was getting lost to saying yes to every request, that was an exorbitant price to pay. I learned to respond to emails once or twice per day. I accepted interviews between the hours of 1 and 4 p.m., only two days per week, and I nearly quadrupled my speaking fee. The result? I lost a lot of speaking gigs. But I recovered my non-monetary income. The number of my speaking engagements fell to only a few times per year, and the organizations that came up with the funds had a greater investment in the success of the event. They worked harder on publicity. And now, when my family packs me off to a speaking gig, they're fully invested too. Sometimes people ask me how I come up with the figures that I charge, and the answer is simple. It's the price that I need to not be resentful that I'm away from home. Four, the right price reduces waste and increases value. I saw this straight away with my public speaking work. True, I had fewer gigs, but the venues I accepted had much greater attendance, and the people who came there were there to hear me. I reached just as many people with a lot fewer freeloading cookie munchers. When it came to selling meat, I saw something similar. Americans have a callous attitude of entitlement about our food. Our food waste in this country is estimated at about 40%. We have a sickening habit of leaving scraps on our plates to be sent to the landfills to generate methane and letting leftovers spoil in our refrigerators. Or we don't make the time to cook food properly, much less sit around the table to enjoy it and celebrate it as we should. Food not tasted is also wasted. When a customer spends $25 for a single ribeye steak, something changes. They recognize it as a privilege rather than an entitlement. They let me teach them how to prepare it properly. They make time in the kitchen for it. They savor each morsel and teach their family members to do the same. They eat the fat, recognizing its importance in improving satiety and in providing the fat-soluble vitamins. They add the bone to a bone collection in the freezer to be boiled into broth at a later date. They save meat and vegetable scraps for broth-based soups. They consume more wisely and value each purchase more fully. 5. The right price improves your customer base. The first year Bob and I saw major competition at our farmer's market, I panicked. Their prices were 25 to 30% lower than ours, and I didn't know how we were going to survive the season, much less how those other farmers could make ends meet. I focused on improving my sales pitch to retain our customers. Bob had a better idea. 
The first time a customer chastised us for being more expensive than our competition, his gentle brown eyes widened with empathetic sincerity. You know, he said, I think the other farmers are going to do a better job meeting your needs. And he let them walk away. The customer waiting next in line watched the entire display. Rolling her eyes at the first customer's rudeness, she opened her wallet, paid us our asking price, and thanked us for being there. So did the next one. Following Bob's lead, I began screening customers. If they greeted us with hostility and didn't want to pay the price we needed to survive, we didn't want to invest our valuable sales time trying to capture their business. We lost our worst customers that year and discovered that we pruned our business back to the best of the best. The customers we retained honored our labors. We were less harried at our booth, and we were able to give our quality customers the time, service, and attention they deserved. Happy, satisfied customers brought us new, happy, satisfied customers. We pruned back only to enjoy renewed growth. Agnes, as you remember from the last episode, is probably my favorite example of a valuable customer loss. Every time she came to buy, she scarfed down our free samples, chewed without closing her mouth, and sniped at us about our prices while blowing crumbs and bits of food across our sales counter. While she may have simply been trying to look out for her own pocketbook, she was telling us with every visit that we didn't deserve our livelihood. If we listened to that kind of toxicity long enough, we'd have been out of business, and Agnes the artist could have watched a gated community replace our picturesque mountain farm. By eliminating the Agneses from our customer base, everyone's experience improved, and even Agnes gets to benefit from the pruning. Our quality of business life improved, increasing the sustainability of our farm. That means Agnes does not eat our products, but she benefits from our protection of her local watershed, our carbon sequestration, our property taxes, and our contributions to the local economy. Some customers are truly worth losing, and fair pricing can be an efficient way of shedding them. And finally, six, if the price isn't working, promotions are always an option. If a price isn't right, it can always be changed, and you can even turn that adjustment into a marketing opportunity. Offering a special promotion gives you news for your email newsletter and something interesting to post to your social media accounts. It often results in additional sales of other products, and it might even bring a new customer in your door to try your products. So, that's all. That's what I can tell you about pricing. That customers' outrage isn't actually about you. That we can choose to wear a cloak of shame or toss it aside and hold our heads high to ask for what we need. And that good pricing makes our business stronger by increasing our gross income, reducing waste, and even improving our customer base. And if not, well, I guarantee that you'll definitely have a good story to share, no matter what happens. Sapwish Cafe is to remain open through the fall, Saturdays 9 to 2, with indoor and outdoor dining. And remember, masks are back. We ask that all customers remain masked when not seated at their tables. Don't worry, we'll still have lots of fun. 
The light is changing and the seasons are turning and it's time to think about filling your freezer for winter. If you're within driving distance, be sure to check out our CSA meat shares for great savings on our sustainably raised grass-fed beef and lamb, pastured pork and chickens, and our Thanksgiving turkeys. Learn more at sapbushfarmstore.com. If you want to come stay for a few nights, be sure to check out our vacation rental and tenter sites at sopbush.com. You can also visit our new Honor Store 24 hours a day, seven days a week, featuring our meats and a selection of local organic and natural grocery items. If you enjoyed this, please take a few minutes to leave a review. This helps other folks find my work. And please share this podcast with friends and family. This really helps to get the ideas to spread. This podcast happens with the support of my patrons on Patreon, and this week I'd like to send a shout-out to my patrons Leslie Hempling and Leanne Saltzman. Thank you, folks. I couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to help support my work, you can do so for as little as $1 a month by hopping over to Patreon and looking up Shannon Hayes. And in case you were wondering, this podcast was produced and edited by the sexiest man alive, my husband Bob Hooper, and the great music we're listening to comes to us from Emory. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Now the birds are singing about all the things they've seen over in the other countries, sowing seeds and reaping dreams, and I think that I am learning all about what it means to stay still long enough to feel